So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, lords and ladies. Fuck it. I am still saying hello to the queen. Hello, queen. Welcome to the pedophiles, the priests, the gays, the straights, the blacks, the whites. It's the most inclusive, world-famous, chart-topping So I Married an Alcoholic podcast. I am Chris, and I am an alcoholic. Hi, and I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. Oh, thanks for saying hi. I just wanted them to know. Interestingly enough, recently we have also been dubbed the most relatable, yet the most offensive podcast on the planet. Is that an official rating? It is. Oh, really? Time Magazine. (laughs) I doubt it, honey. Doubt it, bro. Either way, what's going on, boo? Nothing. It's season two, episode 31 of the most relatable, yet most offensive podcast on the planet. Thank you, Time Magazine. You're full of shit. I was actually contacted the other day. They did a cover uh, of the most recent Time Magazine issue, which is The Queen. We were a close runner-up. Oh, really? For People of the Year. You're no longer allowed to say Person of the Year because that has offended the someone. The single folk. Sure. Okay. Either way. Let us thank the sponsors, darling. Our studio sponsor is Marlane Graphics. MarlaneGraphics.com for all of your printing needs. And Realtor and a Baby, the show sponsor, Realtor and a Baby for all of your real estate needs. And now introducing my newest line of business, Realtor and a Cougar. Realtorandacougar.com for all of your erotic housing needs. Are you done? Do you know who the cougar is? I do, actually. Do you want to talk about the cougar? Uh, my aunt helped Chris sell a house the other day. So Aunt Mary Beth helped me sell a house the other day. She did, and she said you should change your tagline to Realtor and a Cougar, and I loved it. Which is correct. So for all of you fucking assholes out there, they're like, oh, you can't say Realtor and a Cougar. She's the one that came up with it. Yep. If you call yourself a Cougar, I think you can be. I don't think, I mean, I guess technically you can call yourself a Cougar, but I believe it's the other people that call you a Cougar. I guess. I don't know. So somebody at some point in time has ran into her at the Wegmans or, you know, the nail salon or wherever the uber wealthy hang out and have dubbed her a cougar. I think it's just like a term that people know. I I don't know, honey. What's the difference between cougar and MILF? I thought a cougar actually, though, was someone that dated younger men. So that's actually not true. Does she not date younger men? No. Oh. Okay. I thought it was just it, it, just what it was, like a, a good-looking older woman. Maybe it is. I don't I don't know the ter- the terminology. We'll have to check with Wikipedia on that. So technically, you would be a cougar. Oh, because I'm old. Well, no, because you dated younger men in your first marriage. Oh my God, Chris is like on fire recently. I don't know what his issue is this past week, but he's quite a Henri. Yeah. Which we all know when he has something going on in his own life, he becomes ornery and uses it to shoot insults. It is lack of sleep and my marriage. The thing is, though, I actually am, I sleep less than you do. You actually don't. But if you want to turn it into a dick measuring contest, we could start 
charting our sleeping habits. Yeah, I'd be happy to because Chris goes to bed at seven o'clock at night. And I wake up at what time? Uh, I mean, I it, recently three. Yeah, sometimes. Most of the time it's one. That's an eight hour sleep. I've never gotten an eight hour sleep. See? It's always about a contest. For no, you. I'm just saying like you're acting like some, you know, Chris is a fucking princess who needs 10 hours. Well, dude, go back to college. That's the ne- last time you got it. Like adults don't get to sleep like that. I entered into this relationship because you are the breadwinner. And if I want to sleep eight hours a night, I will sleep eight hours a night. No, I'm happy for you and your eight hours a night, but you're acting like it's some sort of sacrifice, like you're sleeping 45 minutes and then going to work. The you're only getting a de- dedicated eight hours, six to eight hours, which is fantastic. If I get six hours of, n- of sleep a night, I've considered that like the ultimate win. It's probably why you need so much work and I don't. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. Like cry cry me a fucking river. Get your violin out that Chris is only getting eight hours of sleep and he's tired. Boo fucking who. And the violin, much like my penis, is the world's smallest (laughs) violin. And by the way, the only thing that I sacrifice is my fucking sanity staying married to you. Oh, you're a lucky man, honey. Say goodbye to the queen. A moment of silence, please. No? Well, our moment of silence was interrupted by the child raging upstairs. I don't know if you can actually hear that through the soundproof walls that apparently are not so soundproof. Something fell. No one cried. We're going to keep going. We're going to have to upgrade the studio, Megan. (laughs) All right. So the king is now in charge. The murderous king, allegedly. How do you feel about that? I don't know. I I haven't done enough research on the topic. Like when Diana died, I I remember Uh, uh, uh. when she was murdered. I remember watching it and being like so up in arms, but like I haven't watched enough conspiracy theories and really delved in to make a judgment. Allegedly. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. She did die. I just, I murdered. couldn't say how. There's a difference between dying and being murdered. If you know anything about me, I don't like to give an opinion unless I've thoroughly researched it. (laughs) Which is interesting because you've married the most opinionated fucking person you could. Yeah, see, I'm not like that. I have an opinion. Even when I have been asked specifically, do not give an opinion. You give your opinion. Oh, okay. Well, so dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I'm not an opinion giver. Oh, but you are a giver of other things. Oh, my God. See? Honorary, honorary. Mm-hmm. Honorary old man you are. So the king is in charge. I have actually been doing, again, in the 14 minutes that I have to myself every day, been watching a lot of queen funeral updates. And I have to tell you the, the quite literally global outpouring of support is just like, and at one point the line was, you know, to see the queen. Five miles long. Yeah, which you literally wait 14, 20, 24 hours in this line for three seconds in front of the queen. And I think what I got from it too is it's at any time. So like you can go at two in the morning. 24 seven. That's pretty amazing. I mean, you kind of have to because if you get there at, you know, again, 10 o'clock in the morning, 14, 18, whatever hours it takes you to proceed through that line, you kind of get there when you get there. If I was still drinking, I totally would have found that like an appropriate 2 a.m. activity. Oh, like, I would be. Let's go see the queen. Like throwing up on the queen's <laughs> guard. Like fucking hammer. We would have been kicked out. I think they're probably keeping that line very This is why strict. Americans do not go to Britain. No, yeah. Or they're not appreciated there, which is understandable. 
Well, I mean, it's interesting considering we won the war. I know. Anywho. Actually, I was getting my hair cut the other day. Speaking of wars, uh, and the guy that was cutting my hair was a former history teacher in high school. Uh, teaches up in Reading, which is not that far from us. Interesting. So anyways, we got to talking, and I was telling him that I live in Sanatoga. Do you know what Sanatoga means? I have no idea. It, it, this could be complete bullshit, or it could be an actual fact. So you know when you come down the hill by Cotillo's and it's a crooked, like windy sort of road yeah. there? So apparently Sanatoga is an Indian word for crooked road. Oh, no way. Now what does that have to do with the British? Nothing. Fucking nothing. I think the war and the haircut is symbolic of the war you're losing to balding. That's true. But it is not as bad as your wrinkles. <laughs> no, my wrinkles are actually not that bad right now because I'm a little chubby. At this age, you can either be very slim or look young. There's no choice. There's no like oh. other option. Yeah, sucks. Well, you could just be like me and be a fantastic piece of meat. You are, honey. Oh, speaking of meat. Prime I Prime condition. Packed. This is going to make Auntie Gay P jealous, but I just packed my colon with meat. From the top down. Yes. Uh, As and opposed so did to Auntie Gay P, who goes <laughs> from the bottom up. <laughs> and so what did the, the bird. We were fucking talking to Auntie Big, Gay P. We have a, a group chat. It's called the Bussy Squad, by the way, because the Bussy, as you know, is the man's butthole. It's the man pussy. Mm -hmm. So anyways, Auntie Gay P was saying that he does not like it in the butt, which I, of course, again, opinion not wanted, gave my opinion anyhow, and kind of was like, I don't think that qualifies you as a gay. No, it does, though. That's a whole big thing, like top versus bottom. I didn't realize that either. I thought you went either way. But that's that's not how they roll. I mean, I, I like you And I don't always... think everyone. I think every, you know, some people have whatever. I mean, some people go both directions. I don't know. Sure. But I think you, I guess people have preferences. I mean, if I was gay, I don't think I would want it in my ass. Okay. But the girl that used to cut my hair would give me a little prostate mm. massage every now and then. I'm so. straight, and I know I don't want it in mine. Well, that's true. Yeah. Have you ever? No. Don't fucking lie. <laughs> Not that I recall. Ah, <laughs> the pleasures of alcoholism. <laughs> oh, boy. See how uncomfortable she gets? I don't know where this conversation's going, but it's nowhere good. Why don't we refocus? All right, so back to the queen. Oh, you know what's interesting? So Chris has been watching the Queen updates, and I don't know how he does it. This is like the magic of smart TVing or something. But he actually has it where it just keeps flipping back and forth on its own to like the most like um, up-to-date highlight at that time. So it goes from station to station. It's like the NFL red zone of the Queen. I don't know if you've seen the cable bill lately, but it's not really the magic of the smart TV. It's the magic of paying 300 fucking something dollars a month in it's cable. Ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. I know. Anywho, so Queen, God rest your soul. Again, the outpouring of support is just like, it's, it's emotional and moving and just absolutely incredible. It really is. It's beautiful to watch. It, it really is. And again, if I got a line, I don't know, five people deep at my funeral, I'd be like, well, it's not a bad run. No. I told you we'd let you lie in wait, honey. It's lie in state. Okay. Which is why you're not a real doctor. She's waiting for something. 
She, yeah. <laughs> Could go either way. Talking about saying funny things, Mac, or Mac Chris today was talking about um, something like expiring, and he's like, "Yeah, he let it relapse." And I was like, "Oh, honey, that's such a drug addict thing to say." The word is he let it lapse. Relapse is when you go back out. No, I'm pretty sure I said lapse. You did not. Did I? Yeah, you said relapse. I chuckled. I, I actually didn't. List, I stopped listening after that because that part was funny. So now you know how it feels to listen to you. Okay. After hello, I'm done. All righty. I'm back to the queen and her funeral update. All right, Honoré. Let's get on with this. Shall we, darling? We shall. All right. So one of our listeners from the, is it Kingdom of Bahrain? I don't know because we're terrible historians. At least from I am. the great Kingdom of Bahrain reached out to us and said, you know, thank you for keeping it consistent because, again, we are the most consistently inconsistent podcast on the face of the planet. Anywho. And he was like, why don't you guys talk about isolation in early sobriety? Yes. And I got to thinking, I guess people in general are, are pack animals. Oh, interesting. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I just, I don't think it's good to isolate at all, whether you're an alcoholic, whether you're normal, whether you're going through something. Yeah, look at the Unabomber. Mm -hmm. He isolated. Look at what happened there. True. So I think the question is, did you ever feel isolated in early sobriety? So why don't you talk, I'll talk personally, the answer for me is fuck yes. Oh. So I did actually a lot of let's, thinking. Let's, you know, calm down on the language, <laughs> Megan. So I did a lot of thinking about this after he asked that question. and It's actually a great question. It's right? a great question. And so, it's, again, very relatable. Very relatable. So I absolutely did. I came out of rehab and was going through a divorce. With a man. At the same time. Yes. Why don't you let me talk? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead. Talk into the microphone. So I came Oof. out of rehab and was going through a divorce at the same time. With a man. So the leading up to that, I, you know, you threw me off. <laughs> I spent a lot of, <laughs> a lot of my married years, we spent hanging out with my husband's friends and their wives. I became very close to these wives. Oh, I'm like on the edge of saying something very inappropriate, but please, darling, share your wisdom. Um, so then towards the end of my drinking, I pretty much isolated everyone. Was oh. the end of your drinking also the end of your marriage? Yes. And so at that point, my drinking had escalated so much. My marriage was over you know, except on paper, but it was a, a mess and in the public eye. So I had made myself completely isolated in this like awful, sad, pity party world, mm. drowning myself in vodka and box wine. Mm. Um, so I entered rehab isolated. I did meet a couple really good girlfriends there and a fabulous gay who I'm still good friends with to this day. I wasn't the only one you met. But then I came out and now that my marriage had ended and I had been gone for 30 days, I have a feeling there was a lot of things said about me, probably some very deserved. Uh, well, yeah, let's be honest, and this is 100% not a dig. I think any time that a relationship ends, even in the professional world, it is 
99% of the time not amicable. And yeah. there was typically one party that does a little more hurt to the other party. And friends, family members, whoever takes sides. Which is, again, it right, wrong, or indifferent is just a natural thing to do, right? Absolutely. And in this circumstance, I lost. So hmm. I had my, which is fine. I, I mean, it's not fine. I was very hurt by it and upset. But also at the time, I was so ashamed um, that I couldn't, I had tried to reach out. It wasn't received or, you know, responded. And I, my ego at that point was so destroyed. I was so destroyed internally as a person. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't pursue those relationships again. I, I couldn't make amends. Like I wasn't at a place where I could do the fixing. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. And I just wanted to stay isolated from them. So I, and I also don't like conflict. So I reached out. There was no response. I left it at that. Do you think that that was the easy road? Yeah, 100 percent. I don't I don't I they were hard conversations I wasn't able to have at the time. That's, again, 100 percent relatable. So I lost conversations suck. I lost those friends. And then I had isolated pretty much all of my other friends in my drinking. And I still had my two very best friends who I've talked to about numerous times who really like emotionally and supported me throughout my entire journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my family. Always. But it's a unique experience going through sobriety, getting sober, being an alcoholic. And so even though you have those strong relationships, you still feel isolated because there's not a lot of people that uh, can understand what you're going through that can like feel that, right? Let me ask you a question. Yes. So your mom recently yes. diagnosed with cancer. Yes. Right? She obviously surrounded by a lot of people that loved her and supported her and would have done anything to ease the, the pain, the discomfort, whatever you want to call it, labels you want to put on it, whatever. So do you think that at certain times during her treatment, she felt those same ways like alone on this island or do you think it's something more specific to the alcoholic or is that just too broad of a question no it's funny because i never really thought about that because you know well see even Henri, i am here to ask probing questions because we were so supportive to her through her journey however you're right that's still probably an to be in those thoughts and feelings, that's got to be an isolating feeling because no one else can feel those. Yeah, I mean, unless you're part of like a cancer, you know, survivors or cancer chemo treatment group or something like that, you are much like the alcoholic, right? You are dealing with those feelings, good, bad, and indifferent, on your own by yourself. Right, which is why the fellowship of AA is such a big thing. And really, frankly, any support group. Absolutely. Now... Strength in numbers, humans are a pack animal. I will 100% admit that I wasn't good at that. Ooh. I used to say, um, especially for my first six months of being sober when I was kind of white-knuckling it, I went to a ton of meetings. I did 90 and 90, and then I had to do at least three a week. Um but I, I used to say I went to every meeting in the tri-state area. 
<laughs> I bounced around. Like I didn't want, I, I was still so uncomfortable and being an alcoholic, admitting I was an alcoholic. I really didn't necessarily want the hands of AA to reach out to me, like they say. Yeah. I wanted a program or, you know, I want it to be sober. And eventually I found that through, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. But I was never good. Still to this day, I'm super awkward. Like when it comes to even making friends with alcoholics. It's interesting, right? Because they, it, at most meetings that you will go to, they ask in the very beginning if anybody is here for the first time, if anybody is visiting from a different, you know, home group or what have you. And if you're in your first 90 days to put your hand up so that people can quite literally like reach out to you and see if you need anything or anything like that. And I can tell you a maybe, maybe less than two dozen times in all of this, you know, my five years almost of sobriety that I actually put my hand up and was like, yes, I'm, I'm less than 90 days or I'm visiting from another area. Like I'm very much so still hesitant to like put my hand up and be like, hey, you know, I, I'm new, help me out. You know, it's so funny. I think the only time I've actually ever done that is like when you and I have been traveling together and they ask if anyone's here from out of town, then I do one of these. I like look over to you and I put my hand up, not because I actually necessarily want to because it still makes me uncomfortable, but because you're there and you know I'm supposed to. So I'm really just doing it because I'm like, oh shit, he actually knows I haven't been here. No one else knows I haven't been here. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not a hand raiser in that situation either. I, I can relate to that. And I can say that's not actually the way to be. Like, that's that probably slowed my process to sobriety. It probably made it a lot fucking harder than it actually had to be. Well, I think that's just the alcoholic being the alcoholic. Yeah, wanting to make things more difficult. I actually remember. Now, I want you to talk about you had a much different experience than me. Although I'm sure you felt isolated. You literally lived in a house with 10 other alcoholics. Correct. So why don't you talk a little bit about like that and what that was like? So my experience being different from yours in the sense that, you know, I was never married and, and had a boyfriend or something like that on the side. But besides that, I still, again, living in a house with 10 or 11 recovering alcoholics and addicts, I still isolated a fair amount, you know, more so obviously in the beginning, because I don't think that I was ready, like truly ready. This, this may sound crazy, but to forgive myself, like I felt like I was carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders for all of the heinous shit that I had done. And again, to speak to your point, I made it inevitably harder on myself because Really, all I had to do was work a program, but I wasn't ready for that yet. Do you think you felt because of that, like not worthy of genuine friendship or of like people to know you? Is that I, why you were hesitant? I'm going to be honest with you. Those those first couple of months, six months, nine months, I don't think I was worthy of like living. Yeah. Like I was in a really, really fucked up place. Yeah. And while it was hard for me to isolate, I still isolated at every opportunity. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And even now, like I'm a very social person. I'm actually very likable. 
Eh. And I say that, you know, sounding conceited, but it's true. I, also, I, if you're not married to you and you don't have to like clean the toilet that you blow up in and, you know, all of that kind of shit. Like I'm funny. But yeah, like I'm, you're okay. I'm good in social situations. However, I'm extremely awkward when it comes to making new friends. I too am awkward. And I think, well, I don't think I know. And Megan can speak to this point that I think, again, I, I keep saying it like I'm trying to convince myself that I don't. I mean, I think I overcompensate. I said it again. What the fuck? Yeah, you definitely overcompensate. You know, I'm a little more friendly, a little more enthusiastic, a little more. I It, it may almost even come off like disingenuous, I think. Yeah, use car salesman, dude, sometimes. Yeah, that's totally me. Which is funny because Chris is actually a very genuine person, but he does. Sometimes I'm like looking at him, I'm like, tone it down, little over the top. This is a mainline dinner party, honey. Please don't <laughs> talk about my tits. You're embarrassing me. But um, no, it's true. And I think it's funny because as we're having this conversation, I'm actually thinking about how I'll say to Chris a lot of times, like, we really need to get some friends like to hang out with. And Chris is always like, I don't like people. I like just hanging out with us. And I'm like, yeah, OK, me too. But in reality, I think it's probably there's probably still some of our own insecurity wrapped up in that. I guarantee you. Like, I don't know if it's the fear of rejection or not being good enough, not being good enough at being a friend or letting someone down. I, I don't even know what it is because I think we're at a good place in our lives to actually be friends with people. I don't think I can pinpoint anything either. It's definitely those things that you talked about earlier. It's also like it's hard to, again, if you become friends with somebody and you get to a certain level, like you talk about inevitably deeply personal stuff. And like I think you talked about last week or maybe the week before, you, know, you tell people you get a DUI and it's almost like, yeah, welcome to the boys club or the girls club or whatever. You tell people you're in recovery and they're like, oh, like, don't touch me because you're going to like give me some sort of disease. So I think it's like you almost I know it sounds terrible to say, but you almost have to be fake to a certain extent. Yeah, there are very few people in this world and I'm going to say, well, more so my family than yours, because I, I don't, you know, again, like I, I've known them for several years now, but I don't necessarily know all of them on like that deeply personal level. But, you know, I think there's still a bit of guarding oh, that happens. Definitely, uh, especially in family parties in the beginning, you, you would put on your best used car salesman. And I want it almost yeah. made me cringe a little bit because although you were charming and funny, it's almost even like your voice changes. And I, I wanted to be like, he's actually really great. I think he's just a little nervous right now. <laughs> oh, not really. I remember your cousin Joe came up to me and he's like, oh, so uh, did you meet Megan at Villanova? And I was like, nope, met her online. She went from the CEO to this derelict douchebag. I'm Chris. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> I don't know. So, But funny enough, so Chris was living with all these alcoholics. And even if he wasn't sharing his full self, he did 24 hours a day have that sounding board and people like-minded people that were going through the same thing or something similar. They had a lot of the same thoughts, feelings, whatever. And I remember early on, something was going on in my life. We were just dating. We weren't living together yet. So, I mean, it was very early on because, you know, that was four months in. But You mean you were still married? And anyway, he... Um, oh, sorry. I, I got upset about something. And, 
you know, so Chris probably ghosted me. But then when he came back around, he said, you know, I didn't realize that I have 12 guys here that I can bounce stuff off of 24 hours a day. And he's like, you're kind of on an island on your own. And that was an island. He's like, I, I never thought about that. Like, he's like, I never thought about it till this moment. Like, you really don't have anyone. And the truth is, that's an island I created myself. Like, I was going to all these meetings. I had every opportunity in the world mm. to make connections with people. I had the opportunity to mend old friendships. Like, there were all these opportunities. But that isolation that I created was of my own making. Yeah, and I can still do it today. And, you know, like I said, Chris and I all talk about not having friends. We joke around about it. And then we decide we just don't want them because we really just like each other, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, as wonderful as it is that we're married to each other because we can challenge each other and motivate each other in a good way, hmm. we can also, like, enable each other in that way. Be oh, like, oh, yes. you're right. We don't need to make new friends. We don't need to do that. We have each other. Like, it's such bullshit. You know what I mean? To a certain extent. But I think we can do that, too. We can, you know, motivate each other to do more, and then we can enable each other to stay in our comfort zone if it works for us. Well, I mean, yeah, depending on how you need it to work or, frankly, how you manipulate it. Yeah. Right? Oh, 100%. So I think the short answer is yes, I I think we both felt incredibly isolated in early sobriety, whether or not we were surrounded by people. Yes. And I think it's still a trap we can fall into to this today. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, you know, again, one of those things. Isolation, I think, is, I don't want to say the death of the alcoholic, but it certainly can put you in a very bad place. And it's something you constantly have to be working on. Absolutely. I went to a meeting the other day and this is the meeting that pre-pandemic I went to three mornings a week. Mm. So I was there all the time. I couldn't tell you anyone that I, you know, I knew everyone. I would say hello, but I never talked to anyone on the outside. You know, a couple people texted me when the pandemic started to check in, see how I was doing. But I didn't reciprocate the same back, right? Re reciprocate what? Reciprocate the same back. And then when I just came back, you know, they asked again, is, is this anyone's first time here? No, I'm not raising my hand. Of course, I came here for two years straight. You know what I mean? Even though it's been two years since I've been there. <laughs> right. And then the next time I came, they're like, are you going to come sit in the at the table? Come sit at the table because I'm also notorious for taking the back corner seat. Shocking. I like a good back corner seat. And then it was one of those meetings where like there was still a lot of time to fill and not a lot of people there. And I felt like now that I'm sitting at this table, I had to speak. And so I did. And I, I actually like had some per perils, you know, I had some good things to say. Maybe I, you know, got some laughs, whatever. But my voice shook the entire time, believe it or not. What a pussy. And we sit here. And I can speak to you 100% no problem. About like some of the darkest, most horrific times, feelings, thoughts that you've had. Yeah, but you put me in a meeting or in any social situation where pe with people that I'm not 100% comfortable with, I'm like a ball of nerves. Well, isn't that the thing about social, social situations? You're never 100% comfortable. So it's almost one of those, again, you know, you call me the used car salesman, but like you fake it till you make it for fear of not coming off like a complete jackass. 
Absolutely. But I think for alcoholics, drinking becomes, especially at the end, very isolating. And then yes. to can so it's a it's a habit too, right? Like if you do when you do get sober, you kind of continue that isolation. And I think it can be one of the most dangerous and deadly habits an alcoholic can have. I think that's why we saw a big spike in the numbers over the pandemic. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I mean, people weren't required to go to work. People weren't required to interact in social situations. You didn't even have to walk into the fucking Target or the CVS to pick up your whatever it is that you were going for. It was like the isolators Super Bowl. Yeah, definitely. And so, uh, you know, I, I just think that can be such a dangerous thing. So I think that isolation early on in recovery is 100% normal. And I think it's 100% a bad idea. Yes. And again, like I am guilty of it and still guilty of it, was guilty of it. But I think it's one of those things. If you do not either recognize it or do something to change it just a little bit, work on it just a little bit, you will find yourself in a very bad place very quickly. Absolutely. I hope that answered your question. Maybe, maybe not. It was a great question. We have a couple more coming and we're hoping maybe to even get our friend on as a guest. Perhaps. That would be great. We would love it. Yes, we would. Although we said stop talking about your bleached asshole. He's like, I can go without the bleached asshole talk. So could I. So could probably 90% of our viewers, but yet you still keep bringing it up and bringing it up. But you can talk about, you know, your husband and your several pool boys or mistresses or mistress I, whatever you call them. I don't actually talk about that at all. It's only you. Again, it's you lamenting, lamenting, lamenting. I'll work on that. I doubt it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me I love too. you anyway, though. <laughs> yeah, about that. All right, darling. I have to go to bed because I have to get my 17 and a half hours of sleep. That's right. Say good night. Good night. I'm Megan and I'm an alcoholic. I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. Cut off your pets privates and please, obviously, do not isolate. And if you are struggling in any way, put your hand up, reach out ask for help. So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com.